Well, it's great to see you. Open your Bibles or access your device to Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Today I'm going to ask and answer the question, what amazes Jesus? I mean, don't you hate it when you forget something? I've been coming over here for nine months, and so I got here last evening and realized I left my pants and my shirt hanging in my closet in Tyler. So I'm fashioning Super Target this morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm invested in the long view economy, so it happens when you get old. There's a list of some historic misjudgments I want to share with you. Number one, somebody said, drill for oil. You mean drill into the ground and try to find oil? You're crazy. That was a response in 1859 from Hibernia Bank to Edward Drake's request to borrow money to drill for oil. Another one. That contraption is nothing but a toy. It will never catch on. That was William Orton, president of Western Union, who turned down the opportunity to buy the rights to Alexander Graham Bell's telephone patent in 1876. I'm just glad it'll be Clark Gable falling on his face and not Gary Cooper. That's what Gary Cooper said on his decision not to play the leading role in Gone with the Wind. I love this one. Guitar groups are on their way out. That was in 1962, Dick Rowe of Decca Records, who turned down the Beatles after they auditioned for him. Big mistake. Number five, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. That was 1943, Thomas Watson, IBM chairman. Somebody else said, there is no reason that anyone would want a computer in their home. Ken Olson, president of Digital Equip Court in 77. Last one, my favorite. Stick to driving a truck because you're never going to make it as a singer. That was Eddie Bond who auditioned Elvis Presley in 1954. But the greatest misjudgment of history was when Jesus returned to his home synagogue and they rejected him. They, they didn't understand who he really was. Yeah, I, I had an experience kind of like that. I grew up in First Baptist Church, Florala, Alabama. That's where I was saved and was, took Sunday school, training union, choir, RAs. And uh, I was not a really well-behaved kid. Let me just put it that way. It's before we had the term ADD, so they just called me a brat. <laughs> I'm the kid that took a snake to Sunday school. I'm the kid who really got in a fist fight at RAs and broke a kid's jaw. And so... Nobody had great hopes for me. So when I was invited back there to that church in the early 80s to preach their homecoming, uh, they just showered me with so much love and support, all these great godly old men and women who had taught me and, and put up with me. And so they gave me a great welcome. And that didn't happen when Jesus came back to his home church, his home synagogue. Now, this message today is going to be two messages for the price of one, okay? So listen fast. We're going to talk about one kind of faith that amazes Jesus that's negative, and then we're going to have another message from another passage about the kind of faith that amazes Jesus in a good way, okay? So that's where we're going. Uh, let's look at Mark 6, 1 through 6. If you're willing and able to stand, I invite you to do that. He, that is Jesus, left there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said, and what is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? They don't want to know answers. These are just accusations. 
Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. That word offended is the Greek word scandalon. We get a word scandal from it. They were scandalized by Jesus. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. And look at this. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed. There's a word. What amazes Jesus? He was amazed at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Let's pray. Father, pray that you bless this message to take, take the truth and use your Holy Spirit to plant it deep into the hearts of your people. And he who has ears to hear, let them hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's so many things about God that are amazing. His amazing love, His amazing grace, His amazing creation. But maybe you never, never thought about the fact that there's two things in the New Testament that amaze Jesus. I, I don't know if this is a word or not, but I would have thought that Jesus would have been unamazable. But no, we see t- twice in both passages we're going to study today, He was amazed. First of all, Jesus is amazed by dead faith. Dead faith. In, in chapter 6, verse 6, says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, I could have called it shallow faith, fake faith, counterfeit faith, but I choose the word, use the word dead faith. Now, the half-siblings of Jesus, you know when I say half-siblings, they had the same mom but a different dad. When at this stage of his ministry, they didn't believe in him. They, they thought he was crazy, touched in the head. But after the resurrection, we know at least you and James uh, became... Uh, committed Christians, and we wrote two books in the New Testament. His half-brother James wrote this in James 2.26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So dead faith amazes Jesus. So what are some characteristics of dead faith? Let me give you two of them. Dead faith questions the authority of Jesus, questions the authority of Jesus. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And, you know, that has always been the strategy of the evil one, the devil. You know why? Because the devil is a crook. And every time God makes a statement in the Bible and puts a period, the devil puts a crooked question mark there. He questions everything God declares. For instance, it started in the Garden of Eden. Here's Eve, and the the serpent slithers into the picture. And he asks her a question and puts a question mark there. He said, did God really say You can't eat of any of the fruit of the trees of the garden. And while she was kind of mumbling for an answer, he he gave her a lie, fed her a lie. He said, no, you won't die. In fact, you know what will happen? If you eat that fruit, you will become like God. You won't need a God because you'll be your own God. And she swallowed that lie, swallowed the fruit, and that's what got all of us in trouble in the first place. So that's what the devil always does, puts a question mark there. You know, the takeaway from this experience that Jesus had in his synagogue, because we read in Luke that they ran him out, a mob ran him out of a synagogue and took him to the edge of a cliff, and he, they were actually going to kill him. I mean, can you imagine that, going to your home synagogue where you were raised as a boy, as a teenager, and now they're trying to kill him? Well, if there's a takeaway from this, I think it is that Jesus understands rejection, And we've all had to deal with rejection before. Because it says in Isaiah chapter 53, 3, he was despised and rejected 
by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So what does that mean? I mean, maybe you've been rejected. You applied for a job and got rejected. You tried out for a team and got rejected. Or maybe you asked somebody to marry you and you were rejected. Or maybe you were married and that person rejected you still. I know when I first started writing, I probably got 50 rejection letters from publishers before one of them said, okay, we'll try one of your books. So we all know what it is to be rejected, and so does Jesus. They asked the question, is this just a carpenter? Now, we know he was more than a carpenter, but until age 30, when he started his ministry, he was a carpenter. And that word doesn't mean just somebody who builds tables and chairs. It's, it's a word, really, that means a craftsman, a skilled craftsman. Uh, so he was very talented. He, he's what we might call today a handyman, Mr. Fix-It. I know some of you wives are, are blessed because you're married to a guy, he's Mr. Fix-It. He, if there's an electrical problem, he fixes it. If it's a, a plumbing problem, he fixes it. Need a new uh, door or window, he can do it. How many of you ladies are married to a Mr. Fix-It? Let me see your hand. I didn't think so. No, no, there was a lot. There really was. Been, I, I didn't raise my hand, I tell you. A Mr. Fix-It can look at a, st- a stack of lumber and a set of plans, and he can see the finished product. When I look at a stack of lumber, all I see is splinters, bent nails, and thumbs hit with hammers. But like a carpenter today, Jesus can still fix you, and he can see the finished product. In fact, Jesus made this audacious claim. He said, I can, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. So this super carpenter Jesus can, can fix your broken hopes. He can fix your broken homes, and he can fix your broken heart. So call out to the carpenter. Well, here's the second thing about dead faith. Dead faith limits the flow of God's power. Now, this is an amazing statement in this chapter. It says he could not do any miracles there. Isn't God omnipotent? Can he just do anything? Well, yes, he's omnipotent, but do you know his power is always released by faith. And because they had no faith, there were no miracles. You see, our, God's power is dependent upon our choosing to have faith. And they were so familiar with Jesus. They saw him as a boy, as a teenager, as a young adult. They just couldn't accept the fact that now this was the Messiah. And after he'd just come off this parade of miracles, they couldn't believe that. There's a little lesson we learned there that sometimes you can become so familiar with someone or something you take it for granted. Someone has said familiarity breeds contempt, and I don't really believe that unless it's something that is contemptible. But familiarity can breed apathy and indifference. I mean, you can get so used to something, you don't even notice it anymore. A few years ago, I went out to Plainview, Texas. That's a well-named place, Plainview, Texas. I was speaking at Wayland University at a Bible conference, and they have several beef processing plants there. So after, after the afternoon session was over, I was walking out on campus with one of the local pastors, and I'm, whew, I wrinkled my nose. That smell was awful. And I just turned to this pastor, and I said, does the air always smell like this? He said, smell like what? <laughs> he becomes so used to it, he didn't even notice it. And I think sometimes in church, and, and even the things of God, they can become so familiar to us, they almost become like a habit for us. We just... Come to church, go home, stand up, sing, sit down, pray, uh, read my Bible. And, and, and it loses some of the edge, some of the freshness of it. Some, you know, sometimes we get in a rut in our, our walk with the Lord. And you know what a rut is, right? It's a, 
grave with both ends kicked out. So always try to keep your walk with the Lord fresh and new all the way. Okay, that's sermon number one, okay? You did good listening to that one. Now, number two, Jesus is amazed by dynamic faith. Now, to read about this, we've got to go all the way over to the gospel according to Luke. So turn over to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read the first ten verses. And, and you can remain uh, sitting. This is one of my very favorite miracles. Luke 7, 10, 7, 1. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. So now we're in Capernaum. A centurion servant. Let's, let's define that. A centurion was a Roman soldier, an officer supervising 100 Roman soldiers. A centurion servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue, which that's rare. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him. Now, this is the words of the centurion. Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this, and here's the second time in the Bible. Amazed. Jesus was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. I mean, all the Jews, this guy outdoes them all. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. So the unusual thing about this miracle is this is a Gentile, and he is a Roman soldier. And usually there was great animosity between the Roman soldiers and the Jews because the Romans were the occupying force. And so it's unusual in Capernaum that you have a group of Jewish leaders who really have a fondness for this centurion. And so this is what you call dynamic faith. Now, we want to avoid the dead faith, but we want to embrace and emulate this dynamic faith. So what are some marks of dynamic faith? Let me give you four quickly. Dynamic faith focuses on the needs of others. You see, this centurion didn't say, hey, Jesus, I need something for you. Give me, give me, give me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. No, he, he was concerned about one of his servants, that he cared so much for his servant, and he had enough faith in Jesus that he said, Jesus, will you heal my servant? You know, sometimes in our prayers, we get a little selfish. Sometimes we pray what I call a polywana cracker prayer, like, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it's like we take a shopping list to God. God, I need this. But the best kind of prayer is intercessory prayer as we pray for others. Selfishness can get you in trouble. Okay, we're going to take a little humor break here, okay? Joke about selfishness. Well, you see, there was this couple, Frank and Betty. They were both 70 years old, almost married 50 years. It was, it was Betty's birthday, and they went over to somebody's nice big house for a birthday party. Frank got a little bored, 
So he wandered back into the library of this big house. And he's looking around. And he found some strange artifact from overseas. And he picked it up. And as he was dusting it off, poof, a female genie came out. And female genie said, thank you for freeing me from my prison. Because of it, I'm going to grant you one wish. And Frank was kind of a selfish guy. And he's just thinking, you know, thinking about my 70-year-old wife there. I know what I want. I want a wife 30 years younger than me. And the genie said, are you sure? He said, that's it. I want a wife 30 years younger than me. So she blinked her eyes, and suddenly Frank was 100 years old. (laughs) Selfishness will get you in trouble. The second mark of dynamic faith, dynamic faith produces acts of loving kindness. Loving kindness does not produce faith, but faith does always produce acts of loving kindness. Uh, This centurion had built the synagogue at Capernaum, and here's the cool thing. I've been to the ruins, the excavations of, of this area, Capernaum, many, many times, and I have stood exactly on the foundation of this very synagogue that this centurion built. Another cool thing about this, after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, there was a church started in Capernaum next door to the synagogue. And for many decades, they met as friendly two congregations for many years. So uh, it's just kind of cool to know that he would do something that kind for the Jews there in Capernaum. And again, that's why I say, if you haven't already signed up for Serve Week, this is a great way for you to show God's love in practical ways to our community. Here's the third mark of dynamic faith. Dynamic faith is expressed in humility. Listen to the words of this Roman officer. He says, I don't even deserve to come see you, Jesus. And I don't even deserve to have you come under my house. That is true humility. And sometimes we just kind of strut into the presence of God and say, God, this is what I need. I need it now. And say we should practice humility at all times. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I I don't want God resisting me, do you? I I need more and more grace, so I need to practice humility. You know, when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I have a standard answer. My standard answer is, how are you doing? I'll say, I'm doing better than I deserve. And I'm serious about that. I'm not trying to be cute. Because you know what I deserve and you deserve? We deserve death and hell, separation from God forever and ever. But because of grace and mercy, we are doing much better than what we truly deserve. Brennan Manning uh, was a great writer, and in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, he writes this about humility. The Christian life is not a performance. It, It is a relationship. It is not about being good enough to be accepted by God. It is about being honest enough with myself and God to admit that I will never be good enough to earn God's acceptance when I understand with all my failures, with all my anger, with all my lust, with all my dysfunctions, with all my stupidity, I am loved by God more than I will ever be able to comprehend. I cannot come to God wearing a mask. Humble honesty is the beginning of a great adventure with God. That's, those are powerful words. If you haven't read that book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, it's a great one. All right, here's the last mark of dynamic faith. Dynamic faith rests on the Word of God. 
So the centurion told his servants to tell Jesus, just, just say the word, speak the word, and it'll be done. Because Jesus, there's something I understand. I understand authority. I know I'm under authority. I have generals over me, but I have a bunch of soldiers under me, and I give them orders. And Jesus, you understand authority, and I understand that you understand authority. And so, General Jesus, all you have to do is give the command because you have authority over sickness, over disease, over death, over disaster. Just speak the word and it'll happen. And Jesus said, whoa, I'm amazed, amazed. I haven't seen faith anywhere like this in all of Israel. Don't you want to have that kind of amazing faith, though, that when you have such faith that you just believe the word of God and proclaim the word of God? You know, I've met people before who've honestly said to me, you know what, Pastor, you people of faith, I don't understand it. I'm just not capable of having faith. That's a really crazy thing to say. And I almost have to keep from laughing at them. Because you know what? Everybody practices some kind of faith every day. I mean, when you get in your car and you turn the the switch and drive across a bridge, you're putting faith in the engineer and builder of that bridge. I mean, especially when you sit down on an airline and buckle in, you're putting faith in the design of that aircraft, the build of the aircraft, and the skill of those pilots. You're putting faith in the law of aerodynamics. Every time you eat a meal at a restaurant, you're putting faith in the farmer that grew the food, the cook that cooked the food, and you're putting it in your mouth and consuming it, and you're believing it's not going to kill you. Everybody has faith. It's just what is the object of our faith, and is it saving faith? Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's a lot of things you can do without faith. I mean, you can build buildings at a church. You can have meetings at a church without faith. You can have a conversation without faith. There's one thing you cannot do without faith. You will never please God. That's the thing that pleases God. You know... I think we need to understand that a little bit of faith and the right object of faith is very, very powerful. I came across a little poem about doubt and faith. I want to share it with you. It's very short. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith roars on high. Doubt questions who believes and faith answers I. One of my favorite preachers from the 19th century was a Methodist evangelist by the name of Sam Jones. If you ever get your hands on any of his books, he had some amazing stories. He talked about a circuit-riding preacher up in Minnesota who was riding from church to church, and it was the middle of the winter. He came to the Mississippi River, and it was frozen solid. But he wasn't sure if it was strong enough to hold him and his horse up. So he tied up the horse and started walking across the ice, and there were a few cracks, and the color didn't seem right, and all of a sudden he got too afraid. He said, I don't think I can do this, and so he turned back around, and then he got more scared, so maybe I'll crawl to kind of spread out. So here, here, here's this guy, this preacher, crawling back across the ice, and then behind him he's, he hears this terrible roar, this huge noise, and he says, oh, no, ice is breaking up. I'm going to drown. Dear God, help me, help me, help me. And just imagine him laying there, praying there. And turned around and looked finally at, at that sound. And it was a team of lumberjacks p- pulling a haul of logs, pulled by six horses across the river. 
When he saw that, he jumped up, went to his horse, untied it, rode across the river. So what changed? Did the thickness of the ice change? No. The thing that changed was his faith in the thickness of the ice. And I want to tell you, we have a God you can trust because underneath are the everlasting arms. And you and I can walk with confidence knowing that God can be trusted. Let's all have dynamic faith. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads together. If you don't know the Lord, if you're here today or watching online, I'd love to lead you in a little prayer that millions of people have prayed that has brought about salvation. You're not saved by prayer. You're saved by faith, but faith can be activated by a prayer. So pray this prayer after me. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I'll never be good enough to earn heaven. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Now, Jesus, I invite you to come take control of my life. I will live for you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.